It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. A beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Well, it's a wonderful day in the neighborhood. Wherever you are or I am, I'm just going to go with that. It's a grand day in the neighborhood. And guess why? Because in just a few days, I mean mere hours, it's going to be, wait for it, spring. Spring is about to spring upon us, and I'm grateful that we're here. And what's interesting about this broadcast in Stories to Make Sense of It All is that just about a year ago, the week that the COVID protocols kicked in in Fort Collins, Colorado, I had a walking conversation out on the street with my friend, Kirk Noonan. Actually, he had a conversation with me. He said he had some questions for the old one, and he wanted to ask me some questions. So a year after the fact, we're going to play that conversation, and we're going to make it parenthetical. We're going to stop reading the book for this week, and we'll come back in our next broadcast to pick up where we left off in known finding deep friendships in a shallow world. So, here he is, my friend Kirk Noonan and I, a year ago. Well, here we are at the corner of Howes and Mountain Avenue in Fort Collins, Colorado. It is the morning of March 18th. This is the first day of my 79th trip around the sun. Had a birthday yesterday, turned 78. And so I thought, well, let's talk about what's happened in the last 78 years, maybe, and and we'll go from there. But I think it's an appropriate place anyway. You loop around the world 78 times. Yes. Today, you're walking in Fort Collins. It's a beautiful day. Tomorrow, it's going to snow. Yes. And that's kind of like how this world is right now. One day, there's sun, and the next day, there's a snowstorm. That's right. What do you think about, like, kind of like, the state of today, um, you had your big celebration yesterday, and then today we're having this great day, but then tomorrow's supposed to snow, but put that in context with everything that's going on in this world. This is one of those places where I say, do you have an easier question than that? (laughs) I think one of the things that I thought about when I had my birthday yesterday was that I was born three months after Pearl Harbor into very uncertain times. And my parents were of that generation where they had gone through World War I and the great influenza epidemic and, and the, the Great Depression and now World War II. And life has always been like that. You look at the scriptures, you look at things, and the, the fact that things change from day to day and you never know what's going to happen is something that gives me pause to say, is there anything that's stable? Is there anything that is um, solid that I can count on? And because of, of commitments I've made in faith and other kinds of things, I'm, I'm fond, you know, there are hundreds of names for God in Scripture, or at least scores. And my favorite is I am that I am, that one when Moses stood in front of the burning bush and the voice said, this is who you tell the, the folks in, in Egypt that I I am that I am, and I'm saying, what kind of a name is that? Clearly it's not a Western name. That would be I do that I do. But I think I am that I am is like the most secure name in the universe. So when you get then into the life of Jesus and he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the resurrection. I think that place of security, that's the most secure name in the universe. I think I've often said over the last 50 years at least, 
that, that when one comes to faith, they get a family name, you know, a different family name. My, my, my family name, my clan name is Foth. My individual name within that is Richard. That, so this tells me where I belong, this tells me my uniqueness. But when I start following God, I believe, through Jesus, I get the I am name. So my, my middle name then becomes Richard I am Foth. Anyway, oh, I, nice. I joke about that. And that's... So now that we've gotten the heavy stuff out of the way, <laughs> let's jump back to yesterday. Yes. You had a birthday. Uh, you had a party with the family. Yes. Uh, a very uh, social distancing party just with the immediate family. Yes. Um, so that was probably the highlight, being yep. able to wake up, have a birthday party with your loved ones. Had my favorite cake. Your favorite cake. Yellow cake with chocolate frosting made by Ruth. And you got one cool gift in particular that kind of uh, surprised you and it hit right on your birthday. Ten days ago from, from yesterday, uh, I was with some of your people, Convoy of Hope people, out in Laguna Beach, California, and I had the tremendous honor of having a 40-minute conversation with the 43rd President of the United States, George W. Bush, who uh, says when he, in, in his tenure as president, he said, I'm a compassionate conservative, but I tilt toward compassion. Yeah. And in part because of that, he was invited to this event. And so I had a chance to just talk with him and it was, a, it was fascinating and fun because he was, he was hilarious personally, very strong wit, but he used the wit as sort of tracks uh, to run on to make serious points. And he encouraged us in the arena of democracy by saying, you know, we're going through some stuff and, and this was before the coronavirus got as intense as it has been the last 10 days in terms of our awareness of it. And uh, he just encouraged us saying, we're resilient, we'll make our way through this and so forth. Anyway, I told him at the end of the interview in front of 130 people, whatever it was, that to have the conversation with him was one of the greatest honors of my life. Well, yesterday, last evening, when he picked up the mail, there was a letter from George W. Bush, <laughs> just handwritten, which is terrific, uh, just saying how much he enjoyed that time. In a day of emails and texts, to have a snail mail handwritten note from someone who for eight years was by all lights the most powerful person on the planet um, is a huge honor and gift. And, um, I just, uh, I was touched. I'm not sure that I've fully grasped it yet, but yeah. Anyway. But I mean, that's, I mean, how many people have a letter yeah. from a president? To me, you know, I know you're a humble guy and you don't want ever, anything to ever feel like you're bragging about it. But for you, it was an honoring thing. I was there. I got to hear it. For me, it was like one of the most entertaining uh, 30 minutes of my life because <laughs> it was the banter going back and forth yeah. and some of the antics. Um, he was an unbelievable interview and it was cool to see you responding to it and having this great time talking to the president, but just to see how real he was, um, yeah. as a great guy. I mean, it was super cool. And I don't think, you know, you look at him and no matter what your party affiliation is, yeah. just a great guy. I would, I I was very touched by what he said, not only about 
democracy in the nation, because I asked him about his humor. And he said, essentially, without humor, you can't have democracy unless your leaders, unless you can poke fun at your leaders without going to prison. And if the leaders poke fun at themselves, that's a, that's a helpful thing. And I had never thought in those terms about that. And he just, he just helped me enormously, both personally in the, in the conversation, but just as a perspective. It was, it was just a very special time. And then we got to the end of the interview and I asked him, how would you like to be remembered? And he said, as a good father. Yeah. That was powerful. All of that, all of this prestige for, coming from a family that would be considered um, political aristocracy in our country. There are very few families like the, you know, you've got the Roosevelt's and the Adams. He's, he's one of two father-son duos that were in fact president of the United States. And, and John and John Quincy were 24 years apart. He and his dad were eight years apart. Five, six years ago, I was at, in Nepal up in the Himalayas and with Convoy, we're passing out uh, food to these families who are desperate for food after the earthquake that struck. And I was standing there and I was looking out at one of the, the next highest peaks um, in the Himalayas and below me is the cloud deck. Mm -hmm. And I'm standing there and I'm looking back at all these people that were, were able to help. And I'm like, man, what an honor. Like, why do I get to see this? Like when you were interviewing him, I'm sure you had some moments where you were like, why do I get to see this? Yeah. And I'm sure you've had other moments like that. When you think about your life, why do you think you get these special moments, um, whether they be with your family or getting to interview the president or getting to go somewhere where most people don't get to go, why? I don't know. I, d I don't know. I, I've, I've often framed it in terms of God has a great sense of humor. You know, I, in, in our life, Ruth and I married almost 57 years ago in the summer of 63. And our lives then have been pretty much 14 to 15 year packages. We went off to grad school, then did a church plant at the University of Illinois for 14 years total. And then came back and were 14 years at Bethany College in Santa Cruz where your dad was one of our vice presidents and a dear friend. And then we went to DC. After leaving that, I was pretty much worn out from running something. So we went to DC and did what, for all intents and purposes, folks might call life coaching, just coming alongside leaders privately, quietly, behind the scenes for 15 years. And now I've been here in Colorado for almost 12. And I tell people, I, we've, we've lived our lives, Ruth and I, in 14-year increments and we have difficulty holding a position, you know, we just keep moving around. But those, each of those places sort of built to the next place. And I've often framed it as I'm a kid from East Oakland, California. I didn't go to Yale, I'm not a blue blood, I didn't really learn to golf at all, and still I don't know very much, until uh, I was 51. So I don't hit any of the boxes that you would think of for people to run in those circles. But God, in his great sense of humor, says, why don't we take the kid from East Oakland, put him on Capitol Hill or the Pentagon and see how that goes. That's yeah. how I frame it. And I think that's how I handle it because I, I think the thing that helps, that, that touches me is that I think some of those moments, many of them are things where I think like the Lord said, well, let's see if I can trust both with this. Even in talking about the, the note from the president and so forth, uh, it, that's saying something about him. That's saying, I mean, who, 
who writes a handwritten note in these days unless it comes from a sincere heart and somebody who does in fact have compassion. Yeah. So you asked me the question why and my initial answer is I don't know, except that I think that the Lord uses people of all stripes. And I, I guess I'm one of those stripes and I've had great privilege. Because when I went to DC, and I've, I've said this to folks, I didn't know anybody, I, you know, really, I knew one guy. But I don't know how you work with people in places of leadership. And the next year, my boyhood friend that I knew when I was eight for one year in Springfield, Missouri, shows up as a senator and ends up being the attorney general yeah. under George Bush, and that was John Ashcroft. Two years after that, the fellow I worked for in Illinois when we did the church plant, his son was in the Navy, he came as a three-star. And so from 2000 to 2004, five, my two closest friends in some ways in DC who were in places of power were the Attorney General of the United States and the head of the United States Navy. You can't write a Hollywood script yeah. for that. And all three of us are pastor's kids. Yeah. That's crazy, yeah. you know, unless it's orchestrated in some way. Well, when I, I, when I was in the Himalayas, I got back to Kathmandu, I called Jana, my yeah. wife, and I said, hey, I just had this great experience and this question I just can't get the answer to. Why do I get to see this stuff? Like, yeah. why me? Yeah. And I started like kind of listing off some of my talents. And she goes, no, 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 it's none of that. And I go, well, what is it? And she's like, you're available. That's why. Uh, and I go, oh, and she goes, and you're available because I help make you available. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, good, good to be humble. <laughs> With our families living near each other in Scotts Valley, right. California. Right. I remember one thing that uh, you would always say to Chris and I, and that was one of the best things you can give a friend is another friend. Yes. And that really helped shape not only my life, but like my career. Like right. I'm really into like, you know, hanging out with people and giving friends other friends. But the, over the years I've seen like shared experiences and books are great things that you can give um, people, uh, your friends, to help broaden their worldview or add to their life. What are some of your ideas on friendship that are so important to the work that you've been able to do and to have some of these crazy experiences that we've been talking about. Well, people who have heard me talk over the years, somewhere along the line, I came to the conclusion that there are two things that we deal with our whole lives, whether we're six or 96, and that's relationships and money. And one of those will make you rich. And it ain't money. You know, that can go away overnight, as we've seen as the stock market has yeah. dropped by yeah. a third in a few days. The idea that the person that God brings into my path, no matter who he is, what status or she, what rank, that person bears the image of God and is worthwhile having a conversation with. I mean that, and you've heard me say this, is that I've come to see people as books with human skin on them, that we have pages and chapters and paragraphs and sections. And depending on the questions that are asked, because if I'm reading the Kirk Noonan book, I, I turn the pages by asking questions. And depending on the kind of question I ask, I'll either get the diary, which is just the facts, or the journal, which is my feelings about the facts, or my feelings about what happened to me. Just like we were talking about that conversation with the president, there are some facts to that, but I'm still processing 10 days or 11 days out 
my responses or feelings to that and sort of savoring and looking at it. If I were to journal it a, a week or two from now, it would probably have a little different look to it. But I think a friend in D.C. Uh, solidified some of this for me. He, he would say to people, and he'd meet people from around the world, they'd come to see him, and he would say, you know, I don't have a lot of money. I'm not rich that way, but I can share my friends. And when people say, so what do you do, Dick, now that you're not running stuff, you know? Are you retired? I said, I'm not retired, but I'm not running stuff. And part of that is, I say I'm a collector. I like to think of myself as a collector, a connector, and a storyteller. And that is, I like to collect folks and connect them with each other, if I think that it's appropriate. And along the way, tell stories, because stories take facts and put skin on them in a way that we remember, right? Mm -hmm. So I think when I think about friendship, and Ruth and I wrote this little book a couple of years back called Known Finding Deep Friendships in a Shallow World. Uh, one of the things that really came home as we were researching and reading through scripture is Jesus gets to the end of his earthly life. It's the night before the cross, and he says to his 12 followers, by this will all men know that you're my followers if you love each other. And I, and I choose greater, greater love as no one than this than to lay down his life for his spouse. Doesn't say that. Or his kids doesn't say that. He says to lay down his life for his friend. I always thought friendship was a diluted form of love. According to Jesus, it's apparently the highest, most impacting form of love. And so if we can think more seriously about what friendship looks like, uh, that's on the right track in terms of the heart of God. So it's a long answer yeah, to a simple yeah. question. But. So what, what are some of the things that, you know, you're 78, 79? 78 in one day. 78 in one day. Yeah, what you, what half do you a look, day. What are you looking forward to? <laughs> I, I think, you know, my, my father lived to 93. My mother lived to four weeks past 100. So I think maybe my genes are pretty good if I don't walk in front of a truck or something for, <laughs> for going a little further, right? <laughs> I collapsed on a plane flying from D.C. to Missouri one day, collapsed, and the plane landed in Chicago as it was supposed to land. And I presented, according to a doctor who was on the plane, like perhaps a torn aorta, something really serious. Turned out to be a gallbladder attack. And they put me in Lutheran General for two, um, for two days. Well, the next morning, the doctor walks in, stands at the foot of my bed. Well, that's when I was in D.C. So my friend was at Justice. I had another friend in the White House. The president's doctor is a friend. And so both the White House and Justice had called the hospital. So the guy stands there and says, well, you must be a pretty important person. I said, no, 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 but I have important friends. <laughs> and he said, well, give me your history. And I said, I got a mom who's 93 and a dad who's 89. I said, so I got pretty good genes. And the guy looked at me and said, well, maybe they got them all. I said, well, you, you've got a tremendous bedside manner, you know. <laughs> but I think looking forward, Ruth and I savor every day. Part of that's age, and part of it is that she collapsed with what they call ventricular tachycardia seven years ago, where, and she survived it. And that, that particular thing makes us savor every day. That's one thing. Secondly, I think the further down the pike you get, because I don't have far to go compared to where I've come, right? Uh, you have a perspective on life that we're talking about here 
that is very different than when I was 40 or even when I was 60. And I think that in and of itself gives us something to think about. So we have little times called Foth and Friends where maybe four or five folks come and, and just hang out for a couple of days and we just talk about whatever we want to talk about. Talk about family or marriage or vision or leadership or food. We talk about food a lot. <laughs> and, and I think there's some distillation there. I think the, the further down the road I get, um, the capacity or the desire to distill into uh, manageable phrases, some thoughts, really um, is helpful to me. For example, when I was first on Capitol Hill, I'm a kid from East Oakland, I don't know anything about politics. I vote, but that's it. And I'm going to meet my first senator, and I'm, having, I'm whining to God, if you will, saying, what do I say to a senator? And I felt like he said, there was a, this wasn't a voice, but I felt like he said, Foth, when you speak to the creator of the universe or the king of the universe in the morning, it's not so hard to speak to a United States senator in the afternoon. Just that little, that, that kind of distillation is something we look forward to. Ruth and I are working on a book. We don't know if it'll get to the end stage, having to do with this idea when Jesus says, except you become like a little child, you don't get in. You don't get into the kingdom. Or unless you receive the kingdom like a little child, you don't get in. And I'm thinking, what is he thinking about there? Besides status in terms of the culture. So we're working on that. And uh, the chance to keep investing in grandchildren before they get to 18, because even 16, uh, you have a little impact. And there's a, I think there's a big hole in our culture where grandparents are. Yeah. And if we can do that. So those are some of the things. So when you hear people talk, someone goes, oh, do you know Mr. Foth? I'm like, oh, yeah, we grew up. I grew up with his kids. Right. We lived down the street. And they're like, oh, he's a relationship guy. Uh-huh. So for guys and gals who are interested in knowing some of the, the secret sauce of becoming a relationship person, what does that look like? What are some of the things that you'd encourage yeah. them to pursue? You know, it's what's funny, Kirk, when I, when I hear that, that these relationship guy, I take that as a great honor, but I, but I like to say, well, not exactly. I said, I, I like to think I'm a Jesus guy, and Jesus is the relationship guy. So that's sort of the wide-angle view of things. If they're a person who has some uh, sense for Scripture, for example, let, let's say they have a faith track that they're running, I would encourage them to read the epistle of the letter to Philippi. That's a town that's no longer there, but it's a church north of Greece. And uh, in there, the Apostle Paul says this in the first chapter. He says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So you may be able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. For me, that sort of captures it. What does love look like and how does that work? Let me put it in contemporary terms. What would be a movie that I would watch to capture the heart of how relationship works? I would say watch the movie that came out in November of 2019 with Tom Hanks. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Yeah. Fred Rogers is, is he's not being deified, but he, he is certainly an icon for where does relationship start? And it starts when you think that that other person that you're talking to has value, no matter who they are. 
and he captured it in one question. Won't you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? And it was cheesy and he did all the puppets and he did all this stuff. And he's a quirky guy, no question about that, but he captured that coming out of his own experience. As he put it as a fat kid, sort of socially awkward. So I think, first of all, it starts with the value question. If you think somebody or everybody has value, then you'll probably be willing to start a conversation with them. Yeah. You'll probably be willing to, to ask some questions that get a conversation going. I often say this about prayer, which is in, in, in essence talking to God. When you say to somebody, I'll pray for you, what you're saying is, because prayer doesn't set a person's value, it acknowledges their value. I think what you're saying is, I think that you are so valuable and your need is so important that when I speak to the creator of the universe this afternoon, I'd like to bring your name up. That'd be all right with you. Yeah. And so that's the starting place. If I understand that all people bear God's image, even if it's corroded, crudded over, crusted up, hardly imaginable, that would be true. The second thing would be that if you are authentically curious and you want to know, you're not just doing it as a ploy, I think that's a big deal. Yeah. What, what happens in our cultures, especially if you're running in business circles or in other kinds of things, let's say I want to get, I want to, get to know Richard Flores who's filming this. But I don't know him, but I know you and you know Richard. I start building a relationship with you, not because I want to know you, but because I want to know him. Well, we know, all, we know how that feels. Yeah. Are they using me as a conduit to get to somebody they think is more valuable or more important? I think when you stop doing that and say there's value just in that person, then it works. Because yeah. that's the right way. You know, Ruth, Ruth says, Dick and I have different people groups. Dick's people group is like 18 to 35. Those are the people he really hums with. She says, my people group are people under the age of five. And it's true, you know, preschoolers, if I meet them at the door, they'll walk past me like I'm a piece of furniture and go straight to Ruth just because she, well, I don't know, she gives off an electronic force field or a vibe or, or the fact that she's willing to lay on the carpet and do games for two and a half minutes at a click, which is their attention span. But she thinks they're really valuable. It isn't that I don't think they're valuable. I just don't know how to engage them the way she yeah. does. Yeah, everybody's got their, their yeah. target market their, their that gift. they can yeah. speak to. Yeah. So, so one thing that you uh, slid into the conversation about six or seven minutes ago, on one of your answers was, I'm a Jesus guy. Yeah. So what's the difference between being a Jesus guy and just being a Christian? These days, particularly, because we've had 2,000 years of Christianity. If you say Christian in certain places in the world, let's, let's say you go to Rwanda, which was the place of a genocide in 1993. A million people killed in 90 days between Rwanda and Burundi. It's a tribal fight. But 80% of the people in those countries were considered Christian. Well, over the years, we tend to add stuff to Jesus. When you add stuff to Jesus, for whatever reasons, and I think a lot of times we add stuff to Jesus, whether it's structures or theology or whatever, 
we, we say we do it to try to explain them, and I think that's probably the original intent, but along the way it gets to be, those are the pieces I can control, because I can't control Christ the tiger, and I can't control Jesus. And I just think that's human penchant. And so I make a distinction personally between following Jesus, who I believe to be the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, and being just culturally what we call a Christian, because there are all kinds of flavors. You say, you know, what kind are you? Are you like a nominal, are you a carnal one? Or are you a born again? I mean, what are you? And I think to be able to, to focus more on the person himself has helped me over the years. And I, in DC, I was there 15 years. I don't know that anybody ever wanted to talk to me about Christianity, but a lot of people wanted to talk to me about Jesus. And I'm not disparaging what's happened in 2000 years of church history. I, you know, there's some tremendous things that have happened. I'm just saying that especially in a culture where information is available like that, you know, I, I have a thousand voices a day that I could listen to here on the subject that if I can focus on, on the person who says I'm the resurrection and the life and I can plow into what does that mean? That's big. I'll just, I'll just wrap this up with this one story. One of my favorite stories is I, I went to play in a golf tournament some years ago. Uh, it was in Southern Virginia and they had a deal where young executives primarily, uh, young to middle age, would bring their friends. And these guys were believers in Jesus. These weren't and before each of the three rounds on three consecutive days, they would have a 20-minute talk on Jesus. Well, the guys who didn't care about Jesus, they'd put up with 20 minutes for a round of free golf. And so somebody came to me and said, would you give the little talk? I said, on what? This is 30 minutes ahead of time. They said, on the simplicity of Jesus. And I'm going, whoa, okay. So I walk into the drink tent. They've got everything from Poland spring water to Johnny Walker red in there. And I have this thought, this hunch. Sometimes your hunches turn out to be leadings of the spirit, I think. And, and I picked up a, a Poland spring water and a, can of, and a bottle of Coca-Cola. I love Coca-Cola. And I just got up and I said, you know, a lot of images for Jesus in the gospels. He's a vine, he's the shepherd, he's the door, all of these things. And he's water. That's one of them. And I said, water is a very simple formula, two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen. And, uh, you know, it's a, if you don't get this for five days, you die. It's that kind of thing. I said, Coca-Cola uses water. It could have been anything. It could have been Mountain Dew or whatever. But I said, Coca-Cola uses water. And this formula is unbelievable. This is, you know, H29. I mean, it's got everything from phosphorus to, used to have coca in it back in the day, right? And uh, I said, you know, you can put a nail in this. It'll be gone in three days. I've, I've gained hundreds of pounds drinking this. I, and if you drink too much of this, it's, it'll, it's toxic. It'll kill you. I said, no, you, you water your plants with this. You don't water your plants with this. You wash your car with this. You don't wash your car with it. Take a bath in this. You don't take a bath in this. Why? Because this, this is a cleansing agent and this just got a lot of gunk. When you, and then I just said, when you add stuff to Jesus, you don't make them better. You dilute it. And sometimes you can even make them toxic. And after, afterwards, I had three guys come up who were the visitors. They came up and said, I don't know about that Jesus part, but I ain't drinking Coke anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so well, for the exclamation point, yeah. I heard a guy ask another guy about 10 or 11 days ago, what do you want to be remembered for? I'd like to be remembered as a person who followed Jesus and loved the people around him with all his heart. Won't you please, won't you please, please won't you be my
You know, it's interesting what reflection does. Having the chance to look back on moments and things that sort of make us who we are. I'd encourage you in these next few weeks as you contemplate a fresh springtime moment that you look back on the year that has been really tainted, hammered by difficulties and say, what are one or two of the things that I learned in a downtime for so many, things that I learned that have helped me? I think if we look, we'll find a couple of those. So until next time, this is Dick Foth saying, if you have the time and want to slide over to the website known.fm or want to contact us on social media, please do so. And God bless. Have a great next couple of weeks.